evangelism. How does that word make you feel? Evangelism. Warm and fuzzy? (laughs) For most people, it is quite the opposite. Welcome to the Beyond the Lines podcast. In a world where there are a few loud voices spreading division, we want you to know that there are more of us who want unity and love. We love beyond the lines of differences so that our lives can be full of diversity. Come listen with us and join a movement of people who are willing to love all people at all times. Today on the podcast, we are going to be talking about the uncomfortable subject of evangelism. Why does it make so many of us feel so yucky? And why do those outside the Christian sphere feel just as bad about it? Tom Kopp is a pastor at Central and a guy who loves evangelism, but maybe not the evangelism you were taught. In fact, it could be possible that Christians have actually done a lot of damage through what they have called evangelism in the past. Let's talk about that on today's episode. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Miller. I'm your designated listener today on the podcast. And today I have Hannah Swidensky joining me. Hello, at, friends. As our co-listener. <laughs> How are you doing today? So good. So good to be here. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about before the podcast, like you're kind of a new addition to the podcast and you're just so excited to be here. Yes, yes. And you love to talk. So it's all. Well, <laughs> yeah. Those are your words. I, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> and today um, we're going to be speaking with Tom Cop. Tom is an amazing person who just loves people. I've had the amazing opportunity to just get to know you over the few years um, that I've been on staff here at Central. You are a pastor here at Central. You've been a pastor for how long? Yeah, uh, I started when I was 19, so 41 years. So 41 pretty soon years. I should wow. get the thing start to kind of get the thing figured out. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> Have you figured it out yet? No, no, but I, I'm having fun learning. It's something different every week. Wow, yeah, 41 years. That's amazing. Um, you are incredibly passionate about Jesus, about telling others about him, and we're going to be hearing more about this, your story, in a moment, but um, just know, everybody at home, that, that Tom is just an amazing guy, and he's a leader of evangelism, which is what we're going to be talking about here at Central, and your heart is really big in that area. So welcome, Tom. I'm glad you're here. You bet. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. <laughs> It is Easter time when we release this, and we wanted to do an episode on the good news that Easter is all about. Um, but we also wanted to talk about what it means to love beyond in regards to the gospel. Now, I hope, honestly, that people are actually listening to this right now, because I wouldn't be sp- surprised if a lot of people don't want to hear about the topic of evangelism. I think the word evangelism kind of, for Christians and non-Christians alike, kind of inspires kind of like a sour taste in our mouths. And it, it and I think that could be for multiple reasons. For Christians, it might inspire shame, like, oh man, I haven't saved a lot of people this year or in my life, and I'm just not good at talking to strangers on the street about Jesus and if they're going to hell or not. And for non-Christians, for unchurched people, they might be thinking, you know, they might see this idea of evangelism and proselytizing as invasive or like somebody's trying to sell them a vacuum that they don't want. Um, And uh, yeah, so I feel like evangelism has a really uh, negative, sometimes and bad rap and and bad stigma around it. But, and we're going to get into that today. But first off, Tom, I want to hear about your story and your personal story, because that has a lot to do with you know, how God used the good news, the gospel in your life and why you're so passionate about evangelism. So I wanted to start there. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, so I'll try to uh, hit the thing that would impact why the gospel means uh, so much to me, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, I was born with a hearing loss, and so they discovered that when I was two years old, and so I've always dealt with the hearing loss, which means at times I'm not quite in the circle because I'm not fully hearing and understanding everything that's going on around me. 
at the same time, I also had to learn at times how to cheat. And so I would learn to, and I didn't even realize I did it, but I learned how to read lips. And I learned to just position myself um, near whoever was going to be talking the most. If I was at a camp, I learned once the lights go out, go to sleep, because otherwise I'm frustrated by not being able to track, you know, the conversations. Uh, at the same time, I had a disease in my eyes, but I wasn't aware of it yet. And so I didn't become aware of that until I was about uh, 21 or 22. And so that disease, I'll give the short name for it, is uh, RP, which means it takes away my peripheral vision and my night vision. So currently, I have about 10 degrees, uh, 10 to 12 degrees of vision, where normal is about 150. And wow. so it means I'm really fun to watch, um, you know, if I'm walking, as long as you don't squeamish about, you know, people that walk into things. Um, but what I've had to do with that is there, there's a, a concept called a sighted guide. So if I'm out somewhere at night or if I walk into a new place, I grab somebody's elbow and then I can feel where to go. And if they were to step off of a curb, I can feel that I got to take a step down. Yeah. If they step up, I can feel that. And I remember one time um, I had just been at, at home visiting my sister and she was fighting that, that sighted guide. And I couldn't figure out why. And then uh, I came home and I was uh, having lunch with somebody who was new to the church. And so they're doing a sighted guide with me. And the thing that dawned on me is I just grabbed their elbow and didn't miss a beat. I just took off. Okay. And the thing that I just felt like God impressed on me in the moment is why do you trust them better than you trust me when you've known me a lifetime? Mm. Wow. And it was just that moment of where I just stopped and realized I've always believed the gospel. I've always believed that God has loved me. I've always believed that God genuinely cares. But at times I want to argue with him about, no, this wouldn't be the right time to do that, or I don't feel comfortable you know, doing that, or maybe I shouldn't have that conversation, whatever. And in that moment, he just used uh, a weakness, a physical weakness of mine, to teach me something powerful about my loving relationship with him. Yeah. And so it's just really kind of a one way where the gospel uh, impacts my life. Mm. Just having to rely on other people helped you to realize that how much you, you were able to rely on God as well. That's a really cool correlation in your story. Another, another part of my story, and I think this is a— It'll have different names or different titles, but I think it's a part of all of our story. Is uh, in my, I was married when I was really young. I was married when I was 21, and uh, in my first marriage, my wife had a couple of affairs on me. I mean, you talk about just rocking your world and causing you to question yourself and your value and what's wrong with me, that she would choose that, and all these other things. At the same time, I grew up with a, with an angry, distant dad, and so it's like, he just didn't have time for me, even though, man, I was doing good in school, good at sports, all of those things, but he just, you know, couldn't be bothered. And so it's uh, really interesting for me when I finally grasped the concept that the God of the universe chooses to be just deeply in love with me, hmm. whereas everybody else I could, you know, turn to look at and question and go, what's wrong with me? And one of the things that I discovered about that through the gospel is that when somebody else chooses not to love someone, that's about them. It's not about the person they're choosing not to love. That's so good. And so in the same way, my performance isn't what makes God love me because it's not about me in terms of why he loved me. It's about him. It's about who he is. It's about his character. It's about what he chooses to see in me rather than my performance or me getting it right. So when I look at that and I understand that, man, who doesn't want to understand the gospel? 
Yeah. That's so cool. Even just the concept of you seeking trust, not only in your hearing and your vision, but seeking those things and like in your first wife and in your father. And you're always seeking this like, dang, like I really need someone to trust someone to follow literally and, and not literally. And that whole time it's like, we have this loving father who has covered that over and over again. And that's so cool to see that just repetitively in your life. That's awesome. Yeah, one of the things when I do uh, like personality assessments and things like that, one of the things that come out is I, I have this insatiable desire to be pursued. Hmm. And it comes from all my childhood wounds. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I understand that, you know, type of a thing. And the thing that's ironic to me about that is the the one entity that is constantly pursuing me is God. And yet I don't respond as much to him as I desire to be pursued by others. Right. And so it's just kind of this uh, weird, you know, spot where I understand I'm pursued the way I want to be um, by God. But at times it's like, yeah, but I want others to pursue me. Yeah. And so it's just the thing I have to wrestle with within me in terms of that. That's about me, even as much as I understand the gospel, me not fully appreciating it. Mm. Yeah, I totally get that because I even... Well, one, I think that's very relatable to a lot of people. I think a lot of us are trying to be pursued and to be loved by other people. And then every time there's some sign of, I think of my life, anytime there's a sign of uh, feedback, we're like, oh, you missed a mark here from anybody. I'm like, oh gosh, they don't like me. And I start like going into this dark place of like (laughs) a dark self introspection. I'm like, oh, I've done all the wrong things again. And I forget that. I believe in a father, a heavenly father who loves me no matter what. And there's no, there's no target I need to hit for him. You know, it's kind of, I think that's very relatable to a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) I remember one time I was uh, in counseling uh, and I've, I've done counseling multiple times because I, uh, there's just so much to learn, you know? And so I was in counseling after I, um, my, I was going through a divorce in my first marriage and I remember one time the counselor looked at me and he just, with all seriousness, I, I loved this guy and I trusted this guy. He had taught me so much. And uh, he just looked at me and he said, uh, so what does it feel like to be God? And I, I just kind of paused and I kind of looked at him and kind of turned my head like, what, what are you asking? You know? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, how does it feel to be God? And I'm like, I'm not, are you trying to say I'm arrogant? Am I, am I coming off as I'm really arrogant and think I'm God? And he goes, no. He goes, what does it feel like to be God? I, I just had no answer for him. I could not figure out. I knew he was trying to help me connect two dots. I just couldn't figure out what the two dots were or how they were connected. <laughs> and so finally I looked at him and I said, okay, I know I'm supposed to discover this. Whatever this is you want me to, to figure out right now. But I'm, I'm missing. I'm not connecting these two dots. What are you saying? Help me understand this. And he goes, so what does it feel like to pursue someone with a pure love, with only their best interest at heart, and have them reject you for something cheap and fleeting? And I just, you know, just one of those moments took my breath away, and I'm like, man, I do that to God all the time. Yeah. Mm. I'm devastated that my wife had cheated on me for some guy that's not going to be around, and he wasn't. And how many times do I cheat on God and pursue something that's not as good for me or doesn't want for me what he wants, and the best thing I could ever have is right there waiting for me? 
Mm. And it was just a powerful aha moment for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we you see that so often too in all of our lives. Like we just constantly, something doesn't happen for us and it's immediately like so worldly and we think about all these tangible things and God every single time is just like, come on, <laughs> like I'm right here every single time. I've never thought about it that way. Like how, what is it like to be God? Like, cause that's devastating for us when we are like constantly pursuing a friendship or constantly pursuing yes. a job or a career. And then that thing goes and finds something else. And it's like, what did I do? Like, where am I? And it's like, I never thought about God in that perspective. It's so cool and very interesting. So you've obviously got this amazing story and, and, and this is just the, the tip of the iceberg, if you will, probably of, of everything you've experienced with God and, and how he's interacted with your life. Um, but I want to move us on uh, reluctantly <laughs> uh, to this idea of evangelism, right? And I, as I kind of talked about at the beginning, there's some negative conceptions of evangelism. Um, first, from your perspective and from your experience, do Christians actually like to evangelize? Yeah, obviously, no. They, they can't stand <laughs> it. It's almost like, man, if you want to empty a room, just walk, you know, if Christians just walk in and say evangelism, you know, and it's like, ah, people are going to get trampled. Um, but, but I think we've done that. So, for instance, I remember the first couple uh, times I ever had a course or a training or, um, you know, Bible college or seminary courses on evangelism. Yeah. You know, they, they would say things like, you know, you need to, to confront the truth that they're going to hell. Or you need to help people get lost before they realize they need to be found. And so everything about it is is we create the fact that it's adversarial. We create the fact that you need to convince people how bad and rotten and awful they are so that they'll want something good. Wow. And it's like, I, I don't want to hear that about anything. You know, if somebody wants to, you know, talk to me about finances, I don't want them to come into my house and spend 20 minutes telling me about every stupid financial decision I've made so that now I'll want them to tell me about how to spend my money well. But we do that spiritually. We, we want to beat people up hmm. and then say, you know, hey, now do you want to hear good news? Well, no wonder Christians don't want to talk about it. You know, they feel embarrassed. They feel awkward. They feel like, I'm going to lose friends over this. Yeah. You know, and pick any topic. If I take that approach, yeah, I'm going to lose friends over that. So people don't want to do that. I think that's the biggest barrier. The second one, I think, is we we try to make it a theological conversation where we're trying to teach people things about God and about salvation and redemption and propitiation and all these other words that even Christians aren't sure what they mean. <laughs> yeah. We're, Rather than make it just about a personal dialogue. Yeah. So, for instance, I just know what God means to me in my life and how he's loved me, even even in my darkest moments. Everybody can relate to that differently than if I talk about, you know, his death on the cross and make for the propitiation which redeemed me into a, you know, eternal relationship with him. Nobody even knows what I said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's how we train people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are really two good points. Like one, um, we don't want to lose friends over it because we've been trained to like almost attack people. <laughs> and like, I don't want to attack people. I don't want to evangelize. If evangelism is attacking somebody, I don't want anything to do with it. Right. I remember this one time I was at this conference. I don't know if I shouldn't 
name it or not. I went to it several times. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but one of the things they had us do is an evangelism conference. It was teaching teenagers. I was a teenager how to evangelize to their friends. I was homeschooled and had no friends <laughs> to note. Um, <laughs> I especially didn't have friends who weren't Christians. And so I felt ashamed that I hadn't shared the gospel throughout this whole conference. I'm like, I'm not sure. I don't have anybody to share with. What am I supposed to do? And then they released us to the community of the, the city we are in, and they toured all over, um, to go and evangelize to random strangers. And I watched as groups of three or four kids each would uh, like almost jump on people and be like, are you going to hell? And it's like, what are, what? I was like, I, this, what is this? What, this, this is not something I really want to be a part of. And at the time, I just felt ashamed that I couldn't, get there you know i couldn't reach the point where i'm doing it like these other groups of kids that are just and i i can't event like they're calling their friends because they, the conference told them to like hey hey what do you know about jesus you know like they're they're doing all this stuff out of the blue you know it very um forceful like mm-hmm. like it's very forced right um as you've talked to people outside of the christian circles what is their view of, like, what have you seen as their, you know, you're, you've been a Christian pretty much your whole life, so you can't necessarily totally speak from that perspective, but you've talked to people outside. What do you think people's perspective who aren't Christians, what, what do you think their perspective is about evangelism? So, um, again, because I'm legally blind, I Uber quite a bit. Yeah. And so the nice thing is I get to meet non-Christians all the time. Or, or possibly non-Christians. Sometimes I get to meet Christians. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I get to meet people from all over the world. And so it's, it's fascinating. If you want to meet people from everywhere, Uber. <laughs> and um, what's funny is oftentimes they'll pick me up at one of our church campuses and I'm going to another church campus or you know, at, the, at the end of the day and I'm heading home. And so they know, you know, hey, I'm a Christian. You know, they're picking me up at the church. And so oftentimes they'll ask, you know, so what do you do? You know, and I'm, I'm a pastor. And you can uh, sometimes literally in the rearview mirror, I can see them kind of like almost flinch, like, oh, I hope he doesn't go there, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> and so I remember one guy just a couple of weeks ago, um, I asked him some question and he goes, well, yeah, I grew up going to church, but I don't go right now. And I'll be honest, you, you're not going to want to hear my views of, you know, Christianity and God and all that, you know. So I'll just tell you, don't go there because I'll offend you, you know. And I mm. said, why would you have to offend me? What if we were just having a conversation and I don't have to necessarily agree with you or I don't have to get you to agree with me, but I'm just hearing what you think, what your thoughts are. And so he just started talking and sharing about different things. Now, some of the things he said I wouldn't agree with, other things I do agree with. And so we just had a dialogue. But part of it was there was nothing in me that felt like I had to get him to agree. There was nothing in me that made me feel like I had to change what he thinks or feels. Everything in me was, what if I just had a conversation with him and I let God decide what to do with that conversation? That may be a conversation that later on that day he watches something on TV and it reminds him of something. I don't know. Or it may be something that he had a conversation earlier that day with somebody else about. But we just had a conversation, and I had no goal in it other than to have an open conversation. Mm-hmm. We get to the end, and he stopped the car. He parked it, and he turned around, and he looked at me, and he goes, man, I have not had this good of a conversation in years. And I least expected it when I picked you up at the church. (laughs) And I just told him, I said, I'm sorry, because part of the reason you expect that is because we've been real bad at these conversations. You know, we've we've made them a confrontation. 
rather than a conversation. I said, I enjoyed it. You know, we don't agree on everything, but I had a good time just having a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things we have to shift is rather than see it as a, as a win, rather than see it as a convince, we just have a conversation. That's so cool. I think we see Jesus do that so many times too. Like that's such a beautiful example of like what Jesus did rather than, okay, like your conference example I loved. It's like, okay, now go do it. Like go find a stranger and tell them about Jesus. It's like, just get to know your friends, like build relationships with people and like love on them really, really well. Because it's that concept of like, then people see Jesus in you. And that's how you share that good news. It doesn't have to, I love what you just said about, it doesn't have to be confrontation, it's conversation. And it's building those relationships and that trust and just that person to person, like, I love you for you and where you're at right now. Not, I love you for what you could be. I love you despite everything that you are. It's like, I love you for where you're at and for where God could take you. Yes, of course. But me and you right now, even if we disagree, even if you're not going to go to church with me every Sunday, I'm, it's still me and you. Um, and that's so cool. And I think it's, we miss it so often. And it's that sad thing of you hop into an Uber with someone and they're not, they don't want to talk to you because there's this pre set idea of what Christians are and how Christians do that so, so horribly. Um, so it's like every conversation we have trying to change that a little bit, a little bit more. Um, and replicating Jesus in just that beautiful way, which is so possible and easy. <laughs> yeah. I wonder too, if some, like you could just tell from the interaction, like he, he's like, he may be, he's probably had bad experiences that that Uber driver you mentioned with Christians. Um, and I wonder, you know, I, I think <laughs> one of the places, you know, this conference like said that you should evangelize the most is on airplanes and in taxis. And I wonder if those those poor souls get hit a lot, but you know, like whenever they pick up somebody from a church, they're like, Oh great, here we go again. You know, like they're, they're almost legally obligated to evangelize to me in this moment. So I have to prepare myself. I have to, I have to put up, Hey, a warning. Hey dude, I don't believe in Christianity. You're not going to convince me. I have to say this disclaimer so that you please leave me alone, you know, and mm -hmm. so that I don't feel attacked in this moment. It's sad that we've reached that point. I wonder mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, I wonder if part of it is like we've almost been convinced that if we don't tell them of their sin, whatever sin that might be, we're complicit in letting them sin or something like that. You know, if it's like there's this phrase that goes around that I've heard, like, I'm not truly loving you unless I tell you that this is wrong in your life. And it's like, dude, you're at a, you're, you're in an Uber. Like, mm -hmm. you don't know that person. You don't have a relationship with that. You don't have the right to tell them <laughs> how to live their life. If you have a really great friendship, you might have some relational equity to then talk to them. But I, I wonder if we're, like, convinced that if we let them, in our minds, continue to sin in whatever aspect of their lives because we see it right in that moment, like, I'm not loving you anymore if I don't mm -hmm. tell you that you're doing some evil stuff. It's like, what? What so do you... A couple of things come to my mind as you're saying that. Okay, one, I think there's some narratives we tell ourselves that give us permission to have bad behavior. Mm. And here's what I mean by that. Well, I want to make sure they know what I stand for. So I got to tell them I don't do premarital sex and you're a, you know, a pagan and you're a heathen because you're doing this. It's like, why do I have to tell them what I stand for? You know, it doesn't matter what I stand for. But I do that in a way, when, when we do that, we do that in a way that makes them feel incredibly judged. And it's like, who are you to judge me? Mm -hmm. The other thing I think we do sometimes is um, 
we, for whatever reason, when we teach evangelism, oftentimes we teach it in a way that, uh, man, we got to do everything we can to rescue people from hell because hell is a bad, awful, rotten place. Now, I believe that, okay, but I think there's a different narrative. What if instead of trying to help people avoid the worst possible destination they could have, what if instead we invited them into the best relationship they could ever have? Well, if I'm talking to you about trying to get you to not go to hell, that that's more confrontational. And that that's just a negative conversation from the get-go. And you can feel like, well, you're assuming I'm going there, okay? Mm-hmm. That's different than if I just talked to you about, man, I got to tell you, uh, the way God uh, treats me and the way I feel affirmed by him after I've had an awful day, man, I would wish that for anybody, you know? And if I talk about that type of a relationship with God, who doesn't want that? Yeah. You know, but instead we make it this negative conversation rather than, I, I don't think God, uh, you know, we're talking about Easter, okay? Yeah. Jesus didn't go to the cross to pay for my sins so that I wouldn't go to hell. Jesus took my sin on his shoulders on the cross because it was separating me from God. And if I understood Easter that way, and if I understood my relationship with God that way, it would be easier to talk about. And it would also be something that's easier to listen to than if it's about, you know, you, you've done these awful, rotten, dirty sins, and because of that, you're supposed to go to hell, and because of that, uh, Jesus had to be brutally tormented and suffered and killed on a cross because of you. You know, that that's different than, you know what, Jesus did all that because, man, God God saw stuff that was between you and him. He did it. Man, he was going to do anything he had to to get that stuff out of the way because he wants you to be able to come to him just as you are, open-hearted, and you know what? You and him will figure the baggage out. Mm-hmm. You, you and him will figure out if there's things to change in your life, or maybe you don't need to change anything. But the difference would be you'll know this. You'll know that God is doing anything and everything he needs to do for the two of you to have a relationship. Hmm. That's different than, man, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Right. That's so good. I love that whole, even what you said about relational equity and then just the concept too of we were never called in the Bible by God to go confront people, condemn them and fix them. We were called to love people and that's it. We were called to love Jesus well and love people really, really well. And when we focus on the condemnation and the, oh, let me try to fix you because I'm better than you are. Let me try to fix you because I'm a Christian because I love Jesus. It's like, let me just love you for you and where you're at. And like, yes, like I would love to show you the incredible things that the Lord has to offer, but you're incredible right now. And if we're going to get into the condemnation and the sins and all the bad, horrible things, who am I to say anything? Like I have all of the same baggage and dirt and horrible things that you do. And like God loves me and God loves you. And it's just, it's so easy to miss. And especially when you don't have that relational equity with someone to go to the place of like, hey, do you know Jesus? Like if you don't have that relationship built on love and on trust and they know you and trust you, how can you bring in that third party for them in their lives? So as you're talking to the story, they're just screaming in my head. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah. a story of uh, Jesus uh, teaching, okay, in public. 
And so the group of guys bring this woman and put her in front of, you know, right in front of Jesus, in front of the crowd of people and say, this woman was, uh, you know, cheating sexually. And uh, they're doing everything they can to shame this woman. But they also are bringing up the law of their day, which said that she should have been stoned. Okay. Now, there's so much about this story that makes me mad. Okay. So somehow she was having sex by herself because there's no man there with her. You know, just her that they're bringing in. And and they want Jesus to be the one to throw the stones. And Jesus does something that I think we often miss. Jesus bends down and he starts to write in the dirt. But nowhere are we ever told what he wrote. And I believe that because it doesn't matter what he wrote. It wasn't about what he wrote. It was about what he did. Mm. Because when he bent down and started writing in the dirt, everybody took their disgusting eyes off of the woman and making her feel shameful to look at him at what he was writing in the dirt. That was just gracious. That was just kind. And then he stands up and he says, who's ever without sin, throw the first stone. Now here's the irony of it. He's the only one who had the right to throw a stone. <laughs> and what he does instead of picking up a stone is he makes everybody else drop theirs. Mm. And then after he makes that statement, he does another fascinating thing to me. He bends down and he starts to write in the dirt again. And the thing that's beautiful about that is the first time he took the shame off of the woman the second time he takes the shame off of the accusers because he wasn't standing there looking them in the eyes, staring them down. Yeah, you drop your stone and walk away. He just graciously bent down, started riding in the dirt, and they got to get up and just walk away as they realized, look, I got no right to throw a stone. And then Jesus gets up and he doesn't tell her, all right, knock it off. He just gets up and says, hey, there's nobody here to accuse you. And just kind of leaves it that at you know, and we don't do that. You know, we want to make sure they know what they did was wrong. And it's like, I think she knew what she did was wrong. Mm-hmm. What she didn't know is would she be loved? Would she be treated with dignity? Would she be cared about? Would Jesus be gentle? Would Jesus, you know, uh, give her a, a rough time or shame her? No, man. She walked away just going, oh, my gosh, I've never been loved more than it was by the one person who had the right to have me stoned and killed. Mm-hmm. Why don't we start treating people like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's this song. Um, it's called Pride of a Father. I'm not sure who it's by. It's a worship song, though. But the concept of it is just that, like, who the, the lyrics in the bridge, it says, who am I that you've loved me? Who am I that you've saved my soul? Who am I that you're mindful of me? And the whole concept of the song is... Our Father loves us with so much pride, regardless of any of the things, regardless of all the things that you could be stoned for and your sin and your shame. Your Father not only loves you, but He loves you with so much pride. Um, and then even just your story of like you missing that Father in your life, having that the pride of a Father over you from the day you were born till now, and seeing that through is just so beautiful through all of those things. Um, and I think that we just need to do a better job just at everything that we're, we're doing, not only in the church, but outside of it with our friendships and our relationships and everyone who we encounter. I just think as a whole, we just need to do better. We just need to love people like Jesus did and take it back to those like just so simple, cut down, simple gospel um, 
ideas and concepts. And we find a lot of those in the Easter story, which is so cool. Mm -hmm. So on that Easter and evangelism and Jesus clearly calls his followers to go and tell other people about him. How do we get past this stigma that Christians have earned over the last, I don't know how many decades in the West where people just feel like we're getting in their face and trying to force them to believe in something that they don't want to because it's so forced, you know, and judgmental. How do we get start getting past that? And how do we tell the Easter story in a new way? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things we have to do to get past that is stop doing that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to get past criticizing my wife if every night I'm criticizing her about something. <laughs> you know, at some point I got to go, ah, you know, I'm sorry. I realize I, I criticize you a lot. I don't want to do that anymore. The only way for, the, uh, for me to change the narrative about how I interact with her is to change how I interact with her. And pretty soon she'll be able to go, yeah, I remember when he made that statement and it changed after that. So I think one is on us to change that. Okay. Secondly, I think it's just about any story. You can look at it like a diamond. You can look at it a hundred different ways and tell a different aspect of that story. So we can talk about Easter and talk about the brutality of what Jesus experienced and the whipping and the crucifixion. We can tell the story about uh, the power of, of Jesus dying physically and then being brought back to life. We can tell the story of Jesus while he's suffering saying, God, forgive these guys. They're still in the process of killing me, but forgive them. He's not even saying, you know, hey, if they change or if they stop or, or when they feel bad, right now they're killing me. And yet, God, I'm asking you to forgive them. He's got a, a thief on both sides, you know. And I, I remember a, a year ago hearing a message that just got me thinking. And the one thief is mad at Jesus and criticizing him. And the other thief is going, hey, would, would you remember me? I, I see who you are and how you're treating people in this situation. You're causing me to believe that you really are God in the flesh. No, nobody else could do what you're doing right now. And I remember as I was listening to this message, the thing that hit me is all of us are one of those two thieves. We're either the thief that's saying, I don't need him and I don't believe he's who he say, says he is. Or we're the thief that says, you know, as I look at him and forget about what everybody else is saying, but if I just look at Jesus and what he's like, man, I can't deny he really is who he said he was. And he really is loving. And if, if I can learn to look at uh, Jesus that way and talk about him that way, it's easy to invite you to Easter. Right. You know, I just invite you to come and, you know, hey, I don't know if you got plans or not, but hey, if you don't, come with me and just kind of check it out. Yeah. But I don't have to say, because clearly if you don't, this is what's going to happen to you. Right. Yeah. What would you say to maybe some, um, maybe the, 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 the non-Christian, the unchurched person who may be listening to this right now um, and they just thought it was fascinating uh, to to hear this perspective, but they are they can't see Jesus as loving right now because of how they've seen his followers treat them. What would you say to them right now? Yeah, so I'll, I'll say two things. Uh, one, I'll say I'm sorry 
for the time that we've we've been jerks. Uh, I'm sorry for the time that we've been judgmental. And uh, I'm sorry for the time that we've not looked like Jesus at all. And yet we're wearing a, a name tag that says follower of Jesus on us. And, and we've not followed him well. So the first thing I would say is I'm sorry. You know, we, we just got to own that. Yeah. Um, people feel that way about it because we've been that way. They didn't just decide, you know, right. that they want to feel that way about us. And then the second thing I would say is, I would just invite you to just start learning about and discovering what Jesus is like and don't pin my shortcomings on him. Because yeah. in some way, that's not fair to him. Yeah. Just like if, um, if, if, if my kids, um, they're adults now, but I still call them my kids. <laughs> um, but if they have a friend who has a lousy dad, I, I don't want to be you know, held guilty for what their dad did. Now, where I've made my mistake, yeah, hold me on that and challenge me on that. But at the same time, when I've loved you well, acknowledge that, accept that. So when Jesus loves us well, acknowledge that, accept that, rather than blame him for people that are not following him very well. Yeah, that's really good. My last question was... uh, for you to give us a reminder of the gospel message. But I feel like this whole podcast has been a bunch of different <laughs> gospel messages throughout. Is there anything you'd like to add uh, to it? Or you feel like, man, we've, we really, there's, like you said, there's a whole bunch of different ways of, of giving it. And it, it all needs to center on this idea of love. You're accepted. Uh, there's somebody out there who will always love you and care for you and, and wants to be with you. Mm. Yeah, I would say that if I were to try to summarize the gospel message, and right now I'll talk to those who are uh, believers, those who uh, understand who Jesus is. Yeah. Here's what I would tell you when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. Tell them what Jesus means to you. Mm. You don't have to tell them about when he was born. You don't have to tell them about all the miracles that he did. You don't, because again, I, I may or may not believe all that stuff. Okay. What I want to know is what difference would it make in my life today if I started trying to learn about and follow Jesus like you do? And so when you talk to people about the gospel, let it be about the fact that um, on my worst day, I don't have to question if I'm loved. That's rich. You know, when you talk about uh, when, when I think of who loves me, who believes in me, who cherishes me, man, the number one name that comes to my mind is Jesus. And when you talk to people about that and you talk about the gospel in that way, even if I don't believe that yet, I'm curious. What, what makes you think that? And when you say, you know, on my worst day, here's one of the things I do. Is I just go for a walk and I just say, Jesus, remind me that this isn't the end, that there are better days coming. And the next thing I notice is all of a sudden I find I get a text from somebody I wasn't planning on or God reminds me of a song. You know, you mentioned one earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all of a sudden in no way Jesus is tangible to me. And that to me is uh, an experiencing of the gospel more so than a historical narrative about something that happened 2,000 years ago. Because even if I agree with you, I'm not sure what that, how did that help me, you know, get along with my wife or my kids. But if you talk to me about how Jesus is changing you and you're learning to be more loving towards others and you feel more loved by him, 
okay, that changes my world that I live in today. Mm-hmm. If I want to tell you about my wife and what I think is awesome about her, I don't go, well, well, she was born on January 20th, <laughs> 1969, and the weather was. And I don't give you all the facts about it. I tell you about, man, when she looks at me, my heart melts. I still, to this day, when she giggles or laughs, it just it doesn't matter what's going on. It's just like, man, my heart just melts for her, mm-hmm. okay? So I talk about the relationship. I talk about how she impacts me. What if we talked about Jesus that way rather than a collection of facts? Yeah, that's good. This has been, I think, a really rich uh, conversation today and a good, um, some really good thoughts on evangelism, on Easter, on Jesus. Thank you so much for being here with us, Tom, today. It's, it's been so good. Yeah, thank you guys. Uh, you let me talk about my favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we tried to do um, on the podcast. Uh, and thank you, listener, for being here today as, go- as well. But before you go, please consider giving us a review on iTunes or any other platform you can find a review button on. That would be really awesome. If you're on YouTube, hi. How's it going? You can see me. That's cool. Um, <laughs> give us a like. That'd be cool. Um <clears throat> If you, we believe strongly in what we're doing here at Beyond the Lines. We try to share stories that nobody else is sharing the stories of. We try to uh, open up our minds and hear uh, perspectives that we couldn't gain on our own without listening. And so we believe it strongly in all the different stories that we've been, had the opportunity to share. So please share uh, this with your friends and family uh, who you think might be interested in hearing it. Um, we record here at Central Christian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Our community here is pursuing the mantra of love beyond, which calls us to empathize with people who are different than us and build bridges of peace. Mm-hmm. If you're interested at all learning more about our church, check us out at centralaz.com. We have online services as well as a bunch of really cool uh, locations in the Phoenix metro area if you're local. We'll see you next at next episode of Beyond the Lines. Until then, start loving beyond your lines. Thank you, everybody.